strategy, design, marketing, UX, digital, development. This is Agencies That Build. This show is dedicated to leaders and teams that design and deploy in the digital world. My name is Jesse, and I'm a marketer and an agency owner. And I'm Varun. I'm not a marketer, but a coder and an agency partner. This show is sponsored by Together We Ship. On a mission to help agencies grow. All right, rock on. We're here. Varun, my friend, how are you? What's new? What's up? Oh, I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day today. A little chilly, a little cold, but, you know, it's what Boston is all about. So I'm very excited. Who do we have today? Yeah, it's uh, today's. I'm. I've been looking forward to this one. I know we had our, our prep conversation quite a while ago, so I, I, she's been on my short list of folks. So uh, today's guest is a designer, a product leader. She is a top forty seven web designer award winner in New York City. She's the owner and head of operations at Studio Simpatico. Tamara Olson, welcome to the podcast. How are you? <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing well. Thanks. Excited to be here. We're excited to have you. So our first question, like we like to start every conversation is around what myth would you like to smash with sort of bogus strategy, misconception you would like to set the record straight on? What do you got? Yeah, I'm going to go with when you have a problem, throwing people at the problem will fix the problem. Tell us a little bit more about that and why, why that one's not working for you. <laughs> totally. Um, so yeah, I think in an agency environment, work fluctuates pretty heavily. You can have periods that are a little slower and then you can sort of have a feast or famine situation pick up. So it's tempting to say yes to everything and then just hire a bunch of contractors, throw them at the problem and hope that, you know, you'll net profit. Um, and that doesn't always work when the systems aren't there. It's, uh, it's, it's an interesting thought that, it, you know, I feel like a lot of us will, will just hire someone, they'll come in and solve that for you. Or, you know, let's, we need somebody who, who does this particular skill set, or even I think a conversation I had this morning was around, well, let's bring out an outside person to be able to solve that. And um, it was, uh, it was interesting. Someone says, can't we just look internally? Doesn't somebody else have that skill? Isn't that something that we can solve? You know, can't we just talk about it and, and figure it out? So it's a, uh, how do you know, uh, how do you know when throwing people isn't the right Throwing people, throwing people is never the right solution, but, um, the, I, yeah. <laughs> you know, how do you guys approach some of these, you know, and your, your agency, you know, one of the things that we talked about prior to this conversation is you guys do something, which I always think is interesting, a little different in terms that you don't have project management or a client success sort of capacity, you know, tell us a little bit how you got there and how that makes sense and how you make that work. I know that was like six questions in one, but tell us, <laughs> tell us the story around that. For sure, for sure. I mean, I think the the type of work we do is so, it, it has to be so collaborative, right? Design and development are not like separate disciplines. The design affects how you're gonna approach development so much. Um, development is affected by design. So introducing people who have never worked together and aren't on the same page about how that process flow is going to go um, can sometimes introduce a lot of inefficiencies and kind of extra extra project bloat. Um, so I found it, obviously, if you have contractors who have worked together a lot in the past and sort of figured those things out, that can be really successful. 
Um, Simpatico's model, though, is really relying on the same team um, to kind of work through different projects, but then also iterate on processes that we've learned over time that are successful. So, you know, project to project, we keep learning more about how to be more efficient, how to work together more effectively, um, so that every client, like each client, as we add on to our portfolio, um, gets a better experience and a more efficient experience. It's, it's such an interesting myth that you are bursting today because as an agency, we, we speak to so many agencies, we work with so many agencies and you know, relying on contractors or people, and, and you're right, like they, there's, there's ebb and flow, right? There's always work coming in and going. So how, what type of system, like tell, tell us more about the processes that you have adopted that has helped you be more sustainable. And I'm sure see, turning down projects and clients would be one of the things that you must be doing because since you are not adding people ad hoc, like now we have more clients, just add more people. So saying no would be, I'm sure one of the core principles, values or something that you must have adopted over time because that's you know your, your, this your system you're built on. But tell us more about how do you, tell us more about the processes that you have set up, right? Like how yeah. is it working? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great point. Um, saying no when we don't feel that we can provide like optimal ROI for a client is, is the name of the game in a lot of, in a lot of respects. Um, as far as the processes go, I mean, it's everything from designers and developers really learning from each other. Um, so designers, you know, taking on some of the, the dev thinking that if they hadn't been working together in the past might have been viewed as separate kind of separate lines of thought. Um, so getting, you know, sketch kind of measuring systems, like establishing the grid, really figuring out a lot of the nitty gritty, but involving developers in that process and vice versa is one. Um, I think as much as we don't have designated project managers, we don't have a lack of project management, right? A, a project is not going to be successful without a good approach to project management. So having a team that's really used to working together in the same way, as far as how we divvy up tasks, um, you know, how we capture business requirements, how that feeds into design, just making sure that that end-to-end -end flow is really efficient, consistent, and that everyone understands it. I think that last, that last point I often see as the failure is that, you know, maybe somebody didn't know that, you know, the business requirements live over here and that the functional requirements need to map to them. Um, so just awareness of how everything's going to go is a big part of it as well. Let me ask you a quick tactical question. Again, the, the, from a learning perspective, are there tools that you use specifically to manage that? You know, we, we haven't, there's so many different PM tools and things like that. I'd be curious to hear what you guys use specifically to help kind of keep organized. And then we can go back to the other line of questioning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm a big believer both in like project management and in UX, that it's more about the approach than the specific tool. But that's not to say that there haven't been a lot of really cool tools coming out lately. Um, we're on, we kind of use a hybrid of Basecamp. We use Balsamic for both requirements and lean UX up front. Um, we use Harvest for time tracking. Um, I'd say those are our biggest. A, a Google Doc here and there certainly helps out. Yeah, what is um, that? 
38 signals is the suite of 37 signals yeah 37 yeah 38 was one, a different one one fewer yeah sorry i was close enough so that's an interesting one yeah i you know popular tools so i just was curious all right varun i know you had a, a couple more questions yeah so you know i'm, I'm still you know trying to you know wrap my head around on saying no to the clients like you know as an agencies when you are turning down a client how does that make you feel like how does that impact your growth and scaling because you know when you so i think there are there could be multiple stories and it could be a longer answer that you say like because it all starts with why did you start the business everyone start the business to grow to become to with have some vision in mind right now I, I think there are two questions coming out of this that I want to ask. One, when you started a business, what was your vision? And second, um, you know, how is turning down the clients and projects helping you grow and scale? A great, great question. Um, I didn't really have the word no in my vocabulary when I started the business, but it was just me. Um, I knew that I needed to take work. I needed to, you know, obviously support um, at the time just myself. Um, but I think it's critical. And it's not even about capacity. It's about taking projects where both sides are really going to get a win from this. The client's business is going to you know, succeed because Simpatico has tools and abilities that just take them to a new level. And then we succeed because it's the type of work where we really thrive and it's a good fit. Um, I'd say to answer the question about business vision, um, the, the word simpatico was chosen because I wanted a business where clients and then simpatico employees really found that sweet spot um, where clients were walking away, not just with amazing design and development deliverables that would elevate their business, but also they would have a really fantastic experience working with the agency. And then on the simpatico side, internally creating an environment where people would grow um, they felt motivated. There was enough variety to keep them challenged um, and also really enjoy the day to day and not feel like, you know, they're they're ripping their hair out because they're working overtime or bored with the, the projects that they're taking on. How big is your team? Just to, you know, remind me. Yeah, we're eight. Eight people. And how are you set up? Like how many designers and devs? Yeah, we're about an equal split. Um, and a lot of the developers have also dabbled in design and vice versa. Um, so that helps us a lot to speak each other's languages. Interesting. Okay. It's a, we, you know, Vern said it earlier, we've talked to a lot of agency owners. And so we're always interested about, you know, the different models and the motivations behind how people have built and chosen strategically to build this way in particular. Um, and you said something earlier, and it, 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 this has come up a lot in conversations, especially, you know, Varun's on the development side, I spend a lot of time on the marketing side, it's this right brain, left brain pairing of people who think and, and creating this, this uh, uh, making hand motions for those of you listening to the podcast, you know, this pairing and marriage, whatever you want to call it, smushing of, of bringing these folks together. From, from a process standpoint, um, 
How do you, I want to go back to your, your sales process for a quick second, because you said something around capturing business requirements. And I, that's, that's a hot topic with agencies and how to make sure that we're clear on what the client is asking is what we're clear and what we should be delivering. And that the pain is actually the thing that they're calling us for. Can you walk us through a little bit of how you tackle that, you know, design and development folks. I, I know we had a conversation with another agency owner earlier, actually earlier this week, believe it or not, recording an episode. And uh, we talked a lot about, you know, sales and how, you know, that process works. I'd love to hear your, your take on that and how you guys approach that and, and capture that information and really feel like you're setting yourselves up for success when scoping out some of these projects. Yeah. I mean, we have it a lot easier because of our small size. Um, so I know that at larger agencies, just by the nature of their size, there's a lot more, you know, you have someone maybe on the sales side that's kind of warming the client up. You have a biz dev person, and then eventually it gets handed off to the team who's going to be doing the work because I'm always there. So I do most of our new project intake and I'm there from the beginning to the end. I think there's less, um, of a challenge in, making sure that it's not a game of telephone where things get lost along the way. Um, but I do think it's, it's critically important. Now you lose, you lose some time on this. So I understand that not every agency or every environment can do this. Um, but I feel it's, it's critical. And I think the team really likes being exposed to the big picture. The developers understand the business rationale for all of the things that we're building as much as I do when I wrote that upfront brief. Um, so having a team that's just the whole team is really close to why we're building what we're building and the value that it's going to bring to the client, I think helps and we lose less, fewer things are lost in translation. Do you guys go through a proposal process that then the client signs off on and then you do internal briefs for the team? Does the client, I'm getting wicked tactical. I hope that's okay, but I think that's great. <laughs> you know, you is it? So, you know, the proposal, the SOW, they sign off on the agreement of the work, all the stuff that goes with it. And then, you know, your creative brief process, is that internal, is it external? If, you know, is there, would you be open to walking us through that a little bit too? Yeah. I mean, pretty much what you described. So I'll work with the client, um, the prospective client to understand the full, the full enchilada of why we're building what we're building, you know, what the wish list is. If there's some upfront strategy, even before we sign on to figure out, what's the best way to achieve this from a technical perspective. I'll do that work with the client, um, which is where it, it is helpful to have someone who's doing business development, who is also a designer and developer, kind of making those calls. Um, usually before the client signs on, even um, Bruce, our head of design, will get involved in the conversation to understand kind of what's going on, especially for larger projects. Um, at that point, yeah, I mean, usually there, because of our size, there are a few deliverables that we create that are internal only. Most are shared on both sides. So our base camp is open to clients and the team. Some of the nitty gritty kind of QA back and forth will keep internal only. Um, but generally speaking, when we write a brief on what we're aiming to build, sometimes the project necessitates writing kind of a product requirements documents. Um, our wireframes will often map out a lot of the WordPress infrastructure. All of those things are shared with both our team and the client. You talked about, or you referenced a couple of times about our size, right? You mentioned about your size. Um, is that like, I, I, I hear, I sense that you find it advantageous for you because of your smaller size, you have, you have, 
been able to do certain things in a certain way, which has helped you uh, deliver better results for the clients. So talk to us about how, how does your smaller size help you achieve those things that you wanted? How, had you, how, how has that helped you differentiate from other people or the competitors yours? Yeah, so externally, as part of our sales process, the, the line I always use is you're going to get our A-team every time. Um, and I've gotten a lot of positive feedback on that, mostly in terms of they'll see something on our portfolio and they'll really like it. And they'll say, I want the people that built that. And I can promise it is exactly the same people that you're going to get in that kickoff meeting throughout the process as built the work that you've identified, you know, kind of fit the bill. Um, so that externally and during sales is, is a nice plus. Um, I would say internally, I really love it. My management style is very iterative. It's collaborative. I really thrive on getting feedback from the ground of like, if we institute a new process, learning what's working about it and what's not working at larger organizations, it's harder to have that kind of feedback loop. If you have everyone weighing in on a process that's been established, you wouldn't get anything done because you have to kind of make some decisions and go with it. Um, I love that, that I can implement a new process and then hear how it's doing and then get feedback from the team. And they're really invested too in kind of iterating on those things. Um, so even like a good example is our starter WordPress theme that we use for all new projects has really just been a labor of love of our development team, kind of learning new things we want to add based on requirements that are developing over time. And we're small enough that everyone can be part of that conversation and then feel ownership in what, what we've created. With your small size, what's the seniority levels on your team? You know, cause I, I feel like it, I'll tell you why I'm asking the question, yeah, you know, yeah. talking, chatting with other agency owners, there's, you know, everybody's got different goals and growth plans and things like that. And that'll obviously be my second question here, but the idea of, you know, we've talked to a few other agency owners who do have smaller teams, but it was done, you know, thoughtfully and purposefully because you're, you know, from a mission perspective, there's the, the A team and the quality of work that doesn't always translate into bringing junior folks in. So I'm curious to hear what the mix looks like for you guys currently. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it is a mix, um, which I think is important because I think I love being part of an environment that can help people to grow. And I think that's inspiring. And that's not to say that someone who's senior can't be growing too. Totally. Um, this is all, everybody yeah. has different motivation. It's an, you know, it's one of those where if you think about it, there's different purposes for why we do what we do and the way that we do it. So that was really where I was headed with the question. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I mean, that is definitely one of the, um, one of the things that's really important to me about Simpatico is that folks continue to grow and oftentimes can choose what area they really want to focus on and get better at. Um, so yeah, as far as seniority, I mean, I do believe it's really important to be clear about who's doing what, when I hear about organizations that are completely flat, it, that does warrant kind of being explicit about, okay, these are my responsibilities. These are yours. Um, but yeah, I, I think in general, if that's kind of codified, it, it goes really well. Let's, uh, I want to, yeah, I want to, you I want to start going into, um, little history about how do you get into this? Like we know that you, have worked at Google in the past. So tell us about the transition. Like, 
what made you quit your corporate job and then start an agency and how did it all start? Yeah, you know, I always had that pull toward kind of the more entrepreneurial uh, lifestyle. So before I, I joined Google, I had just put out my shingle to offer web design and development services. I've been building websites since I was 10 years old, either as a hobby or for anyone that needed one. Throughout school, I was always building them for certain student organizations. Um, so yeah, I think, I mean, the, the decision to leave Google, which was not an easy one, um, was I think more or less an interest in how the skills that I had developed during my time there would would land in the free market. Like what, you know, working with smaller organizations, how could design help their business? I, I was really interested in getting more involved on the business side of things to understand where those skills fit in. Um, and then I also missed, missed front-end development a lot because um, I was just doing design, design at Google. So that was also a factor. All right, I'm going to take a left turn. Are you guys ready for this? What is the biggest mistake you made as an agency owner? It's funny because I, I had the data that I had at the time, so I don't know that I would have done anything differently, but looking back, I would have brought on full-time employees sooner um, because those first few years, it was just me. I would find some contractors to partner with, um, but I, because I was risk averse, and again, I wouldn't necessarily change it for where I was at the time, um, I didn't know the power of having a team that worked together well, that was full-time, that really wanted to see Simpatico succeed, uh, just the power that that would have in helping the business. That's a, that's a good one. I, I, I feel like that's such a hard decision on when to bring on, you know, from, from not only a financial perspective and an emotional perspective, like as an agency owner, you're like, you, you know that you need some help. You need a team member. You need another brain. You're tired of paying. Every time you want to have a conversation, it's like a, you know, I gotta, they're going to charge you because it's contract or whatever. So it's a, it's a, it's nice to have that collaboration in that, in that team um, component. Are you guys, you guys are, do you have an office or are you fully remote currently? Currently we're remote. We did have an office um, leading up until the pandemic, but decided to let that go. Well, that was going to be my next question is, you know, COVID has changed the way that we look at how we staff and how we interact and how was that transition for you guys? Yeah. I mean, there are so many perks to not having to go into an office that I think every member of the team is enjoying. <laughs> um, yeah. Everybody in the country is enjoying, but hasn't had to return um, there are moments of, I miss the design collaboration, like the energy when we're having a brainstorming session, huddled around the table that we used to, you know, bring our whiteboards to and just, you know, go crazy with that. Um, but thus far, it's working really well. It's also allowed us to bring on some fabulous team members that aren't based in New York, um, which we had really all been in the New York metro area prior to COVID. Um, so that's been a, a delightful part of it as well. How, how do you maintain the um, culture in the team? You know, how do you keep them motivated after, like when you were in office, sure, you're meeting in person and, you know, you can see the body language, you can see the face ex expressions and all that. But now, since everybody's, you know, working from their home, how do you 
keep everything in check? How do you know that is everyone doing okay? Like, you know, how, how, how do you, how have you kept everybody together uh, after COVID? Yeah, it's tough, right? Because those organic conversations don't happen as much. <laughs> like you don't have those kind of, you came back from lunch and you're talking about something casual. Um, we have our daily standups, um, which is a good opportunity, not just to make sure we're all on the same page about projects, uh, but check in socially. So usually there's some banter before and after our, you know, running through all of the, the items of the day. Um, I think on the design side of things, it's required a little more kind of planning. So for a design process, making sure that we have a process design that allows everyone to contribute in a way that might've happened more organically when we're all sitting next to each other. So carving out that time and carving out kind of a plan of how are we gonna blue sky these ideas or, or whatnot. Um, but otherwise I think, I mean, culturally, we're the same people we were before. <laughs> so the same kind of back and forth has, has kind of continued. Um, and as new team members have joined, they've kind of, you know, come along for the ride with that. That that's, uh, it's one of those things that I think we're all trying to figure out how to recreate those organic creative moments of conversation yes. without having without having a water bubbler um or the water right button, as they're commonly <laughs> called um our you know. we actually have a slack channel called water cooler that is oh. trying to uh match that vibe <laughs> there you go we do uh we do like a daily weekly question like stupid stuff like today's question was you know what's your favorite sandwich everyone's got a favorite sandwich and so there was a lot of debate around um you know do you like is a cheeseburger a sandwich is a hot dog a sandwich is a grilled cheese a sandwich so it, it's you know inspiring creativity but also just trying to get to know each other a little bit so okay i love so, that yeah I, I, now i feel like i have to ask you both though like what's what are your if you were going to say what's one of your favorite sandwiches you know uh, i'll give you a second to think about it um, Varun, your same question for you too. I, I would yeah. say outside of a Thanksgiving sandwich, one of my favorites, I eat them every single day is peanut butter and jelly. But let me tell you, it's a peanut butter and jelly, but it's fancy peanut butter and jelly. We go with, you know, the Teddy smooth organic peanut butter. I go with my neighbor makes jelly. I get really nice bread. It's delicious. So we're not messing around with peanut butter and jelly over here. Like right now it's a, I think it's blackberry spread. You know, none of this you know, we do have grape jelly lurking, but where it's, it's, uh, it's tried and true. I'm not going to, I'm not going to deviate. All right, Tamara, what's, what would be your, your, I'll your have favorite? one of those. <laughs> it sounds great. I'll mail you one. I'll mail you, you one. You sold me. Yeah, please. You, you can't argue with peanut butter and jelly. I mean, it's easy and it's delicious. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're allergic arguing. to nuts. <laughs> true. What would be yours? Oh, mine. Yeah. I mean, peanut butter and jelly is high on the list or something with like turkey avocado, something in All that right. family. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Varun, what, what's on your short list of sandwiches? There, then we'll, then we'll go back on topic. I like cheese sandwich, but there are two ingredients that I add, which makes it different. One, I, I toast it. Well, I toast it on the pan with a purified butter on it. So it's not like a regular butter, it's a purified butter, which is between India we call ghee, which is like mm -hmm. keto-friendly oil. And I mix it up with the hot and sweet ketchup. 
So that goes inside like cheese, that bread, cheese, and then ketchup, which is hot and sweet, not a regular ketchup. And then, you know, um, just put it on the pan. Do you toast it with the ketchup on top? No, in the in, uh, between the oh, bread. Oh, inside. Oh, inside the bread. Oh. Yeah. So. All right. That's my favorite. Yeah. That's. Anyways, that's going, going back to the say. agency <laughs> life, I, I I'm curious to know what's that one thing that clients do that drives you bananas? Like you know anything that you know stuff like that you really hate clients do sometimes. It's not the easiest question on the planet because you don't want to badmouth a client, but there are things, you know, new. I'm oh, going to a little bit while she's thinking. Every, everybody <laughs> I know, I has pet peeves, right? I mean, I don't want to work with such client who does this, you know, or I would say, yeah, yeah um, straight up being disrespectful. It's a, that's like such a vanilla answer. Um, but I feel like most things, not to give an overly PC answer, but most things can be sorted out of like, if they're asking for something and maybe they don't quite understand something, that's where a little bit of mentorship goes a long way. Like there are lots of, um, there are lots of things that might on the surface seem annoying that end up not being, but if someone is just rude to me or my team, um, that would be my, my pet peeve. Yeah, I'm, it's interesting to hear from you because I've experienced that so many times and this has happened so much in, especially with the offshore teams, you know, for some reason, I mean, I've worked with, I mean, hundreds of offshore people, offshore, my team is entirely offshore, but, and I've experienced, I, I was on the receiving end many times in the past as well. For some reason, you know, there is that, you know, behavior that I've experienced from people in this country when they work with offshore, you know, but I never imagined that you would experience a similar, you know, feedback or similar, you know, things it's from that, people here. Yeah, it's that vendor mindset of like, I'm dealing with yeah. a faceless vendor. I feel like maybe people fall into that trap too when they're calling customer support of a company, right? And they just, yeah. there's something that seems like, oh, I can just, you know, lay down the law to get what I need, um, forgetting kind of those... <laughs> Those yeah, manners they, we all learned in kindergarten, right? I know um, they take you for granted sometimes, right? Like this is something that has to be done this way. If it doesn't happen, then they just say mean words, which is like they are. We are all humans, you know. Just be respectful for for of each other. Uh, you know, everyone does mistakes. It's understandable, but you know, you need to respect other person as well. It's like assume positive intent, right? Like yeah. if everyone assumes that the party that they're talking to is trying to do the right thing. I feel yeah. like it's a lot easier to problem solve with those, yeah. that kind do of baseline. You, do you feel like those are, some of those situations are easier to overcome with everybody being remote on video? You, you know, and I've, I, if you're all listening, I sound, I, my voice is fairly unique sounding i'm well aware of it and so it's an interesting thing when you're talking to somebody on the phone versus how they treat you on video and i've noticed difference even with clients um i, I would wonder actually i'm going to ask you both this like is that do you see a different interaction with clients who may be or clients that you're trying to say look you don't have to be a jerk you know let's let's get on a quick call and talk through it phone you know phone phone uh 
conference calling is the word I'm looking for versus a video chat because they can't, it's harder to be addicted to somebody when you're looking at them in the face. Is that something either of you have experienced? Yeah, I think any, it's funny to watch. Sometimes I'll be like pulled into a thread, especially for a project where I've only been doing development say, and the client just assumes I'm going to be terrible. Like I can hear that in the way they're addressing me or stating the ask. And yeah, to your point, like as soon as we get on that call, I ask questions that show I'm interested in, you know, fixing it immediately, like the temperature cools down. I don't know if it's a series of bad experiences that sometimes preps someone to act that way. Um, but I agree, adding the human element back can, can change yeah. things a lot. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, um, I, I don't interact with the clients that much anymore. I used to, and I've seen the difference when I was on video chat versus on phone, their tone definitely changes, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I totally agree with that. Uh, that's why, I mean, we, we encourage our team to always do, you know, have a video call because you can see the expressions, the body language, and then, you know, understand more about, just show more empathy with each mm -hmm. other when you are seeing them, so. It's the, the tone that people give when they hide behind email is another one. You know, it's like, it's like when you're trying to resolve a problem, don't text me, let's get in the phone call and talk through it because text is, can be misconstrued. I feel like email might serve some of that, that purpose as well. So um, let me ask you, you guys, we've talked a lot about, you know, your agency, your philosophy, the size, a couple different components. You know, I, it, if you were gonna identify a superpower for your agency, what, what would you say is your superpower at, at, uh, amongst you? Yeah, I think our ability to really understand our clients' businesses and understand the why of the project, not just view the, the scope of work or the tactical what needs to be built, but understanding the value that the project is going to bring to their business, I'd say, and then the other one I would say is our design developer, designer developer um, collaboration and approach is more embedded than any that I've worked with in the past. Nice. So I'm going to shift our conversation again for like the 15th time. Let's, let's talk a little bit, if you're open to it, you do some interesting things. If people look you up online, you know, we talked a little bit about your experience at Google, you know, you're also, you know, tell us that you do something else. You're doing some teaching. We'd love to hear a little bit about your background and how you, you know, got into this. Um, if you're, you're game for talking about it. Yeah. You know, I always thought that, uh, web design would be my hobby and that I'd go into either journalism or musical theater. Um, so the opposite ended up happening um, and tech was kind of on the up and up when I was making those, those decisions. Um, I, have, I have taught, I interned at Apple when I was in grad school. Um, my grad school experience was awesome. I went to ITP at NYU, which is where they make plants that call you when they need watering and just kind of thinking through what, what technology can they do sell for those our lives. I could use some of those in my house. <laughs> I, you know, a lot of the ideas, this was like circa 2007, 2008, a lot of the ideas that were kind of in the ITP labs, I have seen like 
more commercially, water bottles that keep track of how much you drink, sort of looking, you know, across humanity at like what problems are interesting to solve? And then is there anything we can do with physical computing or all the cool tools we have to solve them? Um, so that was, that was just a ton of fun. Um, I do have some experience teaching. I taught at FIT, uh, a college course, sort of intro to interaction design and thinking through, uh, things like I just, um, just described. Um, so yeah. And then, I mean, the recent years have, have mostly been about Simpatico and all the different facets, which I feel like are just, it's a business that keeps teaching me new things all the time. As a, as a small human, as a little kid, let me ask you, what, what did you want to be when you grew up? An actress or a writer. All right. Makes sense. <laughs> Doesn't directly but, relate, know. but there's overlaps. Yeah. The, um, yeah, there are elements, I guess. I, you know, they're both creative fields and you're building and, you know, performing to some extent and developing, yeah. you know, developing stories in different ways. So the, some of the tools um, that you would learn as a journalist, I've found to be really helpful, especially during like a project's discovery phase and just kind of learning how to ask questions, just like you guys are doing now, right? Questions that build on what you just learned, knowing when to go deeper into a specific topic. Um, I do think a lot about how that part of my background uh, helped out. What is the topic that really fascinates you that you really try want to get deep into like what do you like talking about other than web design or you know stuff that you do for work I think there's some interesting work to be done we've been doing a lot more like publisher sites recently and it's almost a meta way of thinking of we're designing tools to create designs as opposed to just creating the designs um, and I feel like like my UX UI background along with the experience in journalism really opens that up um, as an interesting like avenue for Simpatico to do more of that type of work. What, uh, all right, I've got two more questions. What keeps you up at night as an agency owner? Yeah, I think to touch on something we talked about earlier, making sure that clients get both a really great like end product and that the work we're delivering is really great um, but also that they're having a really great experience working with us, that the, the process is really smooth, that they're being heard, that it's more of a collaboration and not just a delivery of, of end deliverables. Um, but even more than that, I'd say uh, it keeps me up at night uh, thinking about the sustainability of Simpatico and making sure that the employees are just having a really great time and continuing to grow and that it's adding a lot of value to their lives. Okay, I have two more questions then. How do you, how do you measure that? I feel like that's a, it's a common question amongst agency owners because it's something many of us worry about is there are people happy? Are they even more so now than ever, ever before? How do you, how do you get a pulse on that? I guess is a, is a better way to ask that question. What do you guys do specifically to, to understand that? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is the culture and fostering a culture where people give feedback and it's not like, like giving feedback is a really positive thing. It's not like a dreaded thing where it's like, oh gosh, it's my review, I'm gonna get feedback. Ah. But where it's like people share very openly processes that aren't working, 
Um, we can talk honestly about client project retrospectives of what went well and what didn't go well. Um, so I think I learn a lot by reading between the lines there, um, talking a lot about just what people like doing um, and having that be an input into the types of projects we take and also who's tasked with what. Um, you know, one person's worst nightmare of a task could be another person's like the thing they want to do most. Um, so I try to keep really close tabs on, which again, due to our size is possible, uh, what folks like doing and, and then making sure that I know where they want to grow to um, and giving them the opportunities to do that as well. The openness and the transparency of communication tends to be you know, the popular answer here, but, you know, joking aside, it's understanding really the motivation, the personal motivation of your yes. team members. And, you know, it's, it, it's a harder thing to do from a remote perspective because you can't read. There's only so much body language as I sit here in vogue on camera a little bit. That you can, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I made a reference. <laughs> and I know that reference. <laughs> even better. Um, yeah, but Dawn has been active on Instagram these days, you know, so it's a total sidebar. Um, but the idea of being able to really like watch behavior changes and watch interaction changes, and it changes from this in-person experience to, you know, the zoom it's a, it's a, I can imagine how hard that might be. So, but, um, I've got one, one final question, unless Varun's got anything lurking, um, yeah, reading his, his body language. I don't think he does. So, um, Let's talk about the future. What are you looking at for the future for your agency, for growth? You know, what's what's on the horizon for you guys? Yeah, great question. You know, I think um, it won't be a surprise after everything we've been talking about <laughs> that it's not about, uh, you know, numbers growth. I think Simpatico will always stay kind of dinner table like size. Um, so I think growth for us looks like getting projects um, you know, big, juicy end-to-end -end projects that we feel just really play to our strengths. Um, as I mentioned, we have been doing more publisher sites and I feel like they're a unique, a uniquely good fit for us. So I'd love to do more of that. And then just continuing to be really active in the WordPress community, um, honing our processes and more or less continue doing what we're doing. Great. Well, Thank you so much for your time today. It was a good, insightful, tactical, creative conversation I think we had. So where people can find you, here's the short list. So you're on LinkedIn under your personal profile. You've got a, a Twitter as well, if I'm not mistaken. And then your company website is studiosympathy.co. So Correct. nice and creative there. So Thanks so much. That's it, everyone. If you learned something today or laughed, tell somebody about the podcast. Rock on and have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening. Find our other episodes on agencies that build.com. Plus we're listed anywhere you find your favorite podcast.